when we walk into this uh, church, into this space here, on a Sunday afternoon, I know it doesn't look like an afternoon, but it still is. When we come uh, to this space, we, we meet and we are met by a number of things, right? And some of these things, they command our attention almost immediately. The architecture, for instance, invites and guides our eyes to the altar up here. Right? And this big window here, uh, it makes sure that this area here of the altar is more illuminated than the rest of the church. Right? And then, of course, these electric lights, because let's face it, we live in Norway, we can't exactly rely on natural light all the year. But we walk into the temple and into the church, and automatically, this, this here commands our attention, Right? The altar with the table, this colored tapestry, and the benches, of course. We notice them, whether we want them or not. They're, they're taking up most of the floor. So they're pretty much impossible to ignore. But then there's also the things that we only notice uh, later, or perhaps we only notice if we stop to pay attention, right? The stained glass windows here in this corner, uh, even harder in the winter, in the summer, there's some light shining through them, and then you may notice them. Uh, these prayer globes, which are not a common thing in a lot of places in the world, but are very common in Oreo. What's the deal with that? What is, what is that all about? And I just, just have this new thing here, which is this prayer sandbox thing. That's new for me also, by the way. And then there's, uh, there's the stuff on the altar, there's the candles, there's the baptismal font, and there's the instruments, and there's the, all these little things we start paying attention to. But of course, the objects and furniture are not the only things that we meet and are met by as we enter into this space. We also meet and we are met by people, by noises, by interactions. Right? There's the people up front here playing instruments, uh, singing, talking. Right? Those are the people that we notice whether we pay particular attention or not. I'm standing here in front of you with a microphone and you hardly have an option <laughs> as to whether you pay attention to me or not, right? And then there's the people back in the kitchen preparing tea and coffee and setting out something for us to, to share after the liturgy. There's maybe the shy people that sit quiet on the corner and try to blend with the furniture, <laughs> so that you don't notice them, right? And then there's the little people, the kids, right? The kids. The kids are definitely one of the things that you meet inside here at OIC. But I'm not really sure in which category to place the kids in terms of the things that we take notice of. On one hand, it's pretty much impossible not to notice them. And Benjamin made a very clear point about that today, right? It's pretty much impossible not to notice them. They not only draw our attention with their running around and rolling on the floor and no regard for the volume of their voices, right? But they also demand our attention. 
They want to be seen, they want to be interacted with, they want to be fed, <laughs> right? So yes, we can't avoid but taking notice of the children. But that doesn't mean that we really pay attention to them. It doesn't mean we necessarily listen to them. And perhaps it takes a considerate amount of effort to actually consider how significant it is to have them here with us. Or maybe we should say, for us to have the privilege of being here with them. We do this thing here in OIC that we did today, that we call the kids here to the front, right, before they go downstairs. Uh, to OIC kids, and they come here, and they, they sit here at the steps of the altar, and I sit here with them, uh, and I pray with them, like that, sitting here together on the steps of the altar. And in that prayer, we often remember and say out loud, you know, say out loud, that the kids are as much a part of this community of faith as any grown-up is. And that they are also, we also often say, they are also our teachers in faith. And we mean it. We mean it. But it can be hard to let it actually impact our faiths and impact our lives beyond being something we say when we're praying for the kids. We pray for them. And then they go downstairs, and we do our grown-up talks up here, right? We feed them so that they'll stop talking, and we can continue our coffee and our enlightened conversation with our peers. We do our best to teach them about our faith and help them to belong to the community and, and honestly, I can only say good things about the folks ahead of OIC Kids for all these years in OIC. But we don't always do our best to learn from them belonging to us. Because, honestly, it's not the most comfortable thing to do. So today I want to talk about these kids uh, running, rolling, and crawling among the legs of our community of faith. And I want to listen to the voice of their prophetic presence for all of us. For all of us. Because this really isn't about being a parent. This isn't for us who have kids. I happen to have kids. But this isn't about being a parent. This is about being human. How will our faith challenge us if we look at the children among us? How will our faith challenge us if we look at the children among us. And I read from Matthew 18, verse 1. At, the time that, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like a little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. The discussion is on among the disciples. And they are discussing who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? St. Mark, this is Matthew, right? St. Mark gives us even more insight into this conversation of the disciples in chapter 9 of his gospel. The discussion, Mark lets us know, is really about who of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Which of us disciples will be the greatest? They had all been part of this group of followers of Jesus for a while. They had left everything and followed him, right? They had been doing their homework, doing what Jesus told them to do, walking around with him, paying their dues, learning stuff, and now they want to know who's going to be the best, who's going to be the greatest. It's a familiar discussion, right? It's a familiar discussion. Have you heard it before? I don't think you're likely to have been in this discussion of who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Uh, That sounds to our modern times and culture both presumptuous and a bit foreign. But who's the greatest in the church? In the organization, right? Who's the greatest in your workplace? Who's the best in the class? Who's the best in the football team? Who earns the best salary? Who has most success? Who owns the best house? Who has the best body? What's the strategy for coming to the top? familiar discussion, isn't it? Jesus calls a little child and he centers the child. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. That's quite a powerful statement. And it's not standing alone. This is not a one-off thing that Jesus says. This statement is weaved into the message of Jesus. Into the message of this Jesus that tells Nicodemus, who is a highly learned man, that he needs to be born again. Become a baby again. Into the message of this Jesus that starts the Sermon on the Mount by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, 
Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. The Jesus that washes his disciples' feet and says that that is what they ought to do. The Jesus that says those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I talked about St. Matthew and St. Mark, but then there's also how St. Luke frames this same quote because it shows in all of these three Gospels. And he does it in Luke 18. And when Luke is telling this story, he places it. And remember, the gospel writers, they're not putting things by chance. They're putting them together for a reason. They're telling a story, and they're wanting to tell us something about God and about Jesus. And Luke, Luke, he places this story and this quote between two parables. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and the story... Sorry, two parables, two stories. So the parable of the tax collector and the story of Jesus' encounter with what is in that gospel called the rich ruler. So in the parable that Luke tells us about, Jesus tells of a Pharisee and a tax collector who are in the same space praying. And a Pharisee stands and comes to the front and delivers a prayer a prayer that is filled with self-righteousness and with exposing to all who may hear his moral standing. And that prayer, Jesus says, is an end in itself. It doesn't go beyond the walls of that space. This is the parable Jesus says before. And then he has this coat. And then Luke has us a story of Jesus meeting a rich ruler, right? Who comes to Jesus and asks, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus talks to him about the commandments. And he says, yeah, I've done those. And then he says, well, here's what you need to do. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come, follow me. A wealthy man who comes to Jesus wanting to find out how to get eternal life. And Jesus goes to the heart of this man's issues. Sell everything, give to the poor, and follow me. And he goes away sad because he's not willing to part with his wealth. And what Luke is doing is he's giving us two models. Moral superiority right, and economical superiority. And aren't those our models? (laughs) Moral superiority and economical superiority, aren't those our goals? Isn't that what we so often tell ourselves and are told that we must achieve? What will make us great, what will make us known, that we are somehow morally superior to the others around us or that we are wealthy enough to guarantee ourselves and our future. Isn't that why we work so hard? The temptation is before our every door. But Jesus is asking us to not welcome it in. 
when it comes to the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Neither a supposed moral superiority nor wealth will make the cut. They're both actually dangerously misguided. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves exalted. Our Lord is not the one standing with the big prayer. Is not the one exposing the big wealth. He is the servant one. Unless you change and become like little children, make a child your model of greatness. What do we do with that? It's difficult, isn't it? To center a child. To make a child our model of greatness. Because what do children even know about life and all? While Jesus is doing this, calling a little child to the center, the disciples are soon back to business as usual, trying to keep them away. And just on the next chapter, as Matthew tells us the gospel, he already tells us of another story. This is in Matthew 19, verse 13. Then Jesus brought, then people, sorry, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Here we have the disciples treating the children as a kind of a non-productive nuisance. And isn't that what we do with stuff that is, doesn't generate wealth, doesn't generate value, isn't really useful? People were probably bringing their children to be blessed just as they would, as was actually common to do, to bring their children to be blessed by any renowned rabbi. So what they're doing is actually not that unusual, but the disciples seem to think that Jesus has better things to do with his time. He needs to prioritize, right? He's a busy guy. He needs to do the things that really matter. And Jesus' reaction is, let them come. Let them come. I will stop what I'm doing. I will sit down with them and I will pray for them. He not only does that, he doesn't just stop and pray for the children. He calls his disciples who are trying to keep the kids out and say, come here. Pay attention to the children, to these kids. Because they have something to teach you about your place in the kingdom of God. 
But it's hard, isn't it? The disciples hear Jesus say these things, but they still struggle with it. And on the very next chapter, we have a sequence sequence of events with remarkable similarities to what just happened here. In Matthew 20, Jesus tells of a mother coming to, or Matthew tells of of a mother coming to Jesus with two sons. And saying, Jesus, in your glory, can you put these two sons of mine, one at your right and one at your left hands? A mother is bringing her children before Jesus. But the thing is, now these are not infants. They're grown men. There's two of the disciples. And she's not just asking Jesus to bless them like these kids with the infants were coming just just now, right? She's asking that he make them important. And in this context, Jesus picks up again the issue of the greatest. And he spells it out for his disciples. They're not getting it. They're not paying attention to the children. He spells it out. Being like the little ones that he's blessed just a while ago is not about a different strategy for becoming great. That's not what this is all about. It's about a different way of understanding what it means to be great. And Matthew is calling us to pay attention to that, right? He has the the mothers bringing the babies. They want to stop them. Jesus says, no, they are at the center. Then he has this other mother bringing their grown-up children. And Jesus says, that's not it. It's not about being the greatest. It's not about finding strategies for being the greatest. It's about a different way of understanding what it even means to be great. And Jesus says in Matthew 20, from verse 25 to 28, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus uses now a servant as an image for how they are to be. And then he uses himself. But pay attention to what Jesus is doing. Because he is not using himself as an image as the great rabbi with power to do miracles. No. He's also not using of himself as the great teacher. No. Be like Jesus as the one whom being God Almighty humbled himself into becoming human and yes, into becoming a child, a baby. Small. And then 
Jesus goes on from explaining this to disciples with the word to living it out in compassion. And as they go from that place, the crowd tries to quiet down a a couple of blind men. And they're doing to the blind men what they were doing to the children. They're saying, you're a nuisance. You're not productive. You're in the way. Stop shouting. Stop making noise. And they try to shush them, just as we would shush children. Right? Not now, we're doing the important stuff. But Jesus stops. Jesus asks them what's going on. And Jesus touches them with compassion and healing. He touches them, doesn't tell them what to do from a distance. He sits down on the floor with the children. He touches the eyes of the blind. It can be challenging to think that To be like Jesus, we need to be like a child. And I'm not sure we can always grasp this. But maybe the least that we can do is to let these kids throw us off balance a bit. Challenge what we tend to put in the center. Maybe this child-centering theology of Christ can speak into our aspirations of greatness, of independence, of self-reliance. Maybe it can eat at the base, at the foundation of these demands that the world makes on us of being a productive force, of being the most powerful of being the one who is served and attended to, of being the one who can buy no matter how many people suffer to produce what I'm buying, of being the one that has the highest position no matter how many people need to be stepped on so that I can have it. of being the one that has a position of authority no matter how many have to go powerless, of being the one that defines the agenda no matter these other tiny ones around me with different priorities. Maybe the kid's prophetic presence can Shake this. Maybe it can challenge how we set our priorities and how we make our agendas. And maybe 
maybe sitting down with the kids, like I do here every Sunday. Maybe sitting down with the kids can do something to how we sit down with each other, to how we humble ourselves. We can't wash feet if we don't sit down. We can't see what's going down on the ground if we don't sit down. We can't really listen to what a kid has to tell us unless we sit down or lift them up. We can't really have compassion unless we sit down with those we would keep out. The weak, the small, the hurting, the ones that we would like to call that. That's not the kind of thing we are asked to do. in the world, right? It's not the kind of thing we're asked to do in our workplaces. That's not the kind of thing we're asked to do in our centers of education. That's not the kind of thing we're asked to do in the power struggles among our peers. That's what the gospel asks of us. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May you know that he is gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you into the reality of your life, of your hopes, and of your fears. May he bring you peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the Lord and the world joyfully.